being creative is about being curious and it's about being open to a number of ideas and then having the wherewithal and the awareness to find two or more seemingly disconnected, unrelated concepts and then finding a way to put them together. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Angel Gonzalez, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks so much, man, for taking time out of your busy day to join us here. I'm really, really stoked about this conversation. And you're you know, just a few hours up the road from us here. So uh, how you yeah. been, man? I've been great, man. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be spending some time with you. I'm looking forward to, to this conversation, but I've been fantastic. Good, good. Well, I mean, as we were talking about kind of before we got on and recording, Snappy Kraken's become a household name, I think, in the industry. And, you know, everybody knows what y'all are doing and who you are. And it's such an, a cool thing to see how y'all have evolved. And, and I'm excited to drive into that and, and, and dive into creativity and marketing and, and especially in a space like wealth management where y'all have made a name for yourself doing it slightly different. And so we're going to get to all of that. But before we do, I just want to know, I always like to ask, like, is this where you thought you were going to be? Is this what you wanted to do? Was the 13-year-old Angel Gonzalez like, you know what, I'm going to go start a company. We're going to do marketing and wealth management. We're just going to change the whole game there. Was that, was that what you were thinking at 13? You could have asked if, if I was thinking this at 27, 28. And I would have said no. Like I was, I did not have things mapped out. I didn't have things figured out probably until I was 30 or so. So I went into all sorts of different areas. I've been just dabbling for most of my life. I thought I was going to go to school to major in English and then psychology. I got into real estate. I got into tax prep. I went to x-ray school, decided I didn't want to go into the healthcare industry, got into web design and copywriting. Yeah. And then after a while, I, I figured, okay, I have all these interests. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in what motivates them. I'm fascinated by psychology and behavior. And I love to tell a good story and be somewhat entertaining. And it's like, okay, after a while, you're like, oh, I'm a marketer. All right all right, this is it. And Ed, I don't really want to go work at some established path. Let me, let me go create something for myself and my, uh, and my business partner. So we're, uh, well, here, so, here we are. So what did the 13 year old Angel Gonzalez want to be? What, what, what did you want to be at 13? I did not know. I, I'll say <laughs> from the ages of five to, to 12, I was like, wow, maybe I'll be an inventor. Thomas Edison, that's, that seems fun. Oh, there's these movies, Doc, Doc Brown from Back to the Future. That seems really, maybe I'll make a time. Yeah, I, I was uh, not grounded in reality, Matt. You know, now that we're at, at Snappy Crack and you mentioned, hey, I'm a marketer and I want to go build this thing, which you said you wanted to be an inventor. I mean, entrepreneur and inventor are very similar. So I think you, you maybe were onto something now if we're looking back. You know, we can dive into the psychology of your upbringing and maybe see if that was an impetus. We should have known back then that you were going to start this company. But what? Everything makes sense us? in hindsight, doesn't it? Like you just go exactly. back and you start connecting the dots. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you start figuring out how to connect them to get to where you are, right? You'll, you'll pick right. and choose what, what makes sense there. And so, so tell us the story of how Snappy Kraken got started. You know, you and your partners, you know, how did y'all come together? How did y'all come up with this idea and, and how did you get it into market? I'm just curious on that whole journey that y'all went through. Yeah. Well, it's really hard to talk about how a, a particular business got started without talking about the people that make up that business, without talking about the stories and the connections and how these dots 
end up lining up, but really it starts with my best friend, uh, Brad Delachey. He's my co-founder, my business partner, one of three, one of the three co-founders for Snappy Kraken, but I've known him for going on 25 years. He and I met when we were in high school. We met through our mutual love of music. He played guitar, I played guitar. We liked rock and roll, we liked punk rock, we liked indie rock, and we, uh, we started bands together. Fast forward a few years, we ended up starting a, a web design agency that was named after one of our bands. We had a range of clients from micro farming to a woman that uh, provided ADA compliance consulting to financial advising. One of our other clients was Robert Sophia. And we always said, this guy gets it. He understands marketing. He respects marketing. He's a dynamic person. We see eye to eye. He has the same values. He was one of our favorite clients at the company he was working with and the business that he started. And we ended up leaving our agency, working with him for a couple years. We actually were employed by, his company was an agency that marketed for financial advisors. And uh, Brad and I ended up hitting, hitting a ceiling there. We decided to jump ship. I actually have a video recording of the day that we sent in our resignation letters. It was March 31st, 2016. We were sharing an Airbnb and I was like, hey, we're gonna do something a little bonkers today. We're gonna resign from our jobs. We're off to go figure something out. We wanna build something. We wanna you know, craft our own path, figure that out. And we ended up resigning and building. So we started, we started building and we landed on, on what became Snappy Kraken. Soon after that, Robert ended up joining us. And, and here we are now, seven, seven years later. That's incredible. So, so Robert had an agency already helping financial advisors with their marketing. And y'all were working there. Y'all decided to go out and kind of compete, I guess, a little bit against him. Was it, Were y'all focused on financial advisors or were you focused on other industries? And, and then I'm curious on what made Robert jump over with y'all on what y'all were doing as opposed to staying where he was already at. Here's, here's what's interesting. It's uh, when, we, when we decided to leave uh, as a marketer, someone who would set up campaigns, I would have discussions with Brad and we'd be like, man, this stuff is, takes so much time. Not only do you have to create content, not only do you have to find ways to automate it and connect it to all these different services. Remember, it was 2016. So we were, we were discussing, like, wouldn't it be great if a lot of this was already pre-created and a lot of this was already mapped out and automated, what if we could scale this? I bet you there's so many industries where we could scale this. Eventually through, through conceptualizing that, we landed on like, you know what? We already have experience in the financial industry. We could serve the financial industry. I think we should go in this direction. It's interesting that you say compete because we didn't even see ourselves as competing with any, mm. with any marketing agencies in the financial space because part of the vision was like, you know what, we could, we could get third-party content. This could actually be a tool that a lot of marketing agencies or individual creators can use to help scale themselves. So, so we, we figured we were being very additive to the industry. Anyhow, Robert ended up hitting, hitting a little bit of a, of a ceiling where he was at as well, decided to leave and pursue this full force and, and really build it out. 
That's incredible. And, and, and so if you were to explain the evolution of Snappy Kraken, as y'all were, right? So you went out and you said you're going to be additive kind of to the agencies. And now you are really serving RIAs as their, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of as their marketing department. I mean, you're giving them like a one-click like ability to, to market effectively to, to their clients. What's that evolution and, and where do you say you are today? And, and what does the next 10 years look like for Snappy Kraken? And then I want to dive into some of the creativity and the marketing, et cetera. But I want to put a bow on this journey because I think it's such an incredible story. Yeah. So the mission has always been to, to create meaningful connections that drive business. So to me, it's never really about any specific tool or any specific channel. Because as you know, things move so quickly, channels, different tools, different organizations can go belly up. And if you, if you were relying on any one thing, on any one tactic to really drive business or to really help the people that you seek to serve, you're kind of at a dead end if any of those things change rapidly. So if, if you think from first principles, advisors have to market. They have to connect with their clients. They have to connect with their prospects, regardless of what channels of what tools, what tactics or techniques are out there. How do we help them do that? How do we leverage technology to do that? So with, with us thinking in that way, there are things, and I'll give you an example, there, there are things that we didn't even plan for from day one. At day one, 2016, I didn't imagine that we would end up acquiring a website company. But a couple of years into the business, speaking of evolution, right? With evolution, you're adapting and you have to be quick to adapt to change. You have to see what's ahead and figure, how am I going to be additive? How are we going to improve what we're doing? So we figured we're helping advisors with our marketing. We want to provide a robust marketing solution for them, you know, reduce as much friction for them, do it in an amazing way. We're listening to their feedback. Some of them are saying that they need a website. They want to switch website providers. They want to be able to integrate it with their automated marketing. Wouldn't it be great? Hey guys at Snappy Kraken, if you folks provided websites. So it made logical sense and it still fit in with our mission. It's like, let's help advisors create meaningful connections that drive business. This just helps integrate it in another way. We also provide text message marketing solutions. That's another factor. It's like, okay, how do we help them reduce friction? How do we help make it harder to fail? How do we make it easier to succeed, to actually connect and click with clients and prospects? Okay, this makes sense. It all comes together in a single offering. And then you ask about 10 years from now. I mean, come on, what, what's going to happen two years from now? It's really hard to predict what, what's going to happen in the short term. But again, going back to that principle of we're here to serve our advisors, we're here to help them make meaningful connections that drive business. Let's be adaptable. Let's be let's be ready to integrate what we need to. Let's be ready to drop whatever may not be serving us or our advisors or their clients and prospects. And let's just keep going ahead and having fun. That that that's how I see it. Cause I you just asked me if the 13-year-old angel knew where 41-year-old angel was gonna be. No clue. And if we're honest, I don't think anyone really knows where, what the next iteration of themselves, one, two, three, five years from now is going to be, even though it's, that's a common interview question for a lot of employers, right? What's your five-year yeah. plan? It's like, hey, I can give it to you generally. 
you know, it, it really is, is that, you know, the real answer is, is like, I don't know, I'm going to take every day by its, by its horns and see what it happens. Right. I'm going to, that's the epitome of being present, right? That's the epitome of being present, right? You have goals and ambitions to serve more people. How you do it is in, that's not in our hands. That's not in our cards. And we're going to take as it comes and we're going to iterate and evolve and, take on the challenges that are going to be there. And we know there's going to be some and who we are in five years may be completely different and we're going to be okay with that. But you know, it's not. And that's what I love is that the mission is not going to be different. We're going to be constantly driven by the mission. And, And how you answered that is like one of those clear examples, which is such a cool example of like, we are going to stay true to our mission no matter what it is. I don't care what we're doing as long as it goes back to our mission. And so many companies get away from that and that's when they start to stray um, and they start to kind of stumble at that point. And I think that's really cool what y'all have done. Yeah, you, you stick to your mission. You have your values. You meet with like-minded people, people that you see eye to eye with. Everything else is, just becomes execution. It just becomes the tactics and you make that conform to how you see the world and, and the lens through which you're going to provide value to your audience. To me, it's just it's just that it's like, okay, how do we choreograph and get to where we want to be ultimately? So I love that. And I want to shift gears into kind of your realm of marketing. It's such a challenge. I I always looked at what y'all were doing and said, gosh, they're really bad. Like it's an uphill battle going and trying to talk marketing to an industry that knows nothing about marketing. Like it's kind of like going to a different country and not speaking their language. You like, you have no clue. And the, the challenge I've always seen is that advisors are analytical in nature. But marketing needs creativity. And those don't tend to mesh very well. And so I'm curious, what is the challenge of helping analysts become creative and overcome those burdens that analytical minds have? If you're going to ask an analytical mind to be creative, you're, you're basically asking them to turn off the editor, to turn off the internal editor. And, and the editor is really what waters down the creativity. I see it as two modes and you're probably the same way. It's like, if you're going to be creative, you have to put the editor in a different room and just go, Hey, all bets are off. Let me take the gloves off. Let me be super creative. Remember none of this. I'm not committing to any of these ideas. Let me come up with the wildest, the dumbest, the most insane ideas first, and then I can scale it back. Then I can be analytical. I can figure out, okay, here are all my options. Let me rank them. Let me review them. Let me make sure they prove their worth. And let me choose the ones I'm going to go forward with. Then I can be the editor. Then I can be the analyst and figure out how these things are going to pay off. But it's really hard to start that off the other way where you go, okay, what is the thing that abides by XYZ constraints that is within compliance and fits inside this keyhole? Okay, let me make it creative now. You, you have to start way broader, way more ambiguous, and then you can start to whittle it down, make it a little bit smaller, make it fit whatever you need it to fit. I love that concept of turn off the editor and and go into the room and be creative, right? Because every, I think, advisor always comes at it of what fits within the compliance spectrum, right? And then you are limited in scope right off the bat. But I also don't know, you know, I'm curious to you because you are creative. I've looked at some of the things that you've written and how you post and everything of that nature. It's like, to you, 
what does being creative mean? What is being creative? I think people think of creativity as being like an artist and being able to draw like a great thing or being an author and being able to write this great story. But what is being creative mean to you? Being creative is about being curious and it's about being open to a number of ideas and then having the wherewithal and the awareness to find two or more seemingly disconnected, unrelated concepts and then finding a way to put them together. And that's where you get novelty. We're all wired to notice novelty. We, we gravitate towards them. If everything else is the same, if everything else is homogenous, we're gonna notice the thing that stands out. And it's not about standing out for the sake of standing out, again, it's about taking two concepts. So you can take a concept that people want to know about or that people gravitate to, but then you just give it a twist. You tie it to another concept. That's why people love learning through analogy and metaphor. You can teach them a concept they don't know anything about, but man, if you could just draw, draw that line between the thing they know nothing about and compare it to the thing they know a little bit about or a lot about, you've just committed a creative act and you help somebody learn and you help somebody grow as a result of it. Yeah, you know, I think, and, and I love that answer and that, that correlation of bringing things together that are different, but that help to serve the purpose like an anal analogy or a metaphor. But it, I think where the challenge stems in wealth management at times is that we are in such a risk averse world because in to be creative to get to that point we've got to go up to a whiteboard and list everything out like we're talking about Roth IRAs let's think about anything that can like what's the characteristics of a Roth like why is it cool let's list all that out and then let's go find like what can we compare it to outside in the world that everybody else knows and you're going to put up a lot of ideas that are terrible that yeah. are terrible but because we're so risk averse we don't want to fail even in that forum and so I, I'm curious in your mind what does creativity look like within wealth management? What are some examples or, or what have you seen in like those stories of, of firms that you have been like, wow, like they get it, they understand it. And this is how they bring it into wealth management. Because I don't think that when you put, when you think of the word creativity, the first word that comes to your mind or words is not wealth management at all. And right. so I, I'm curious, what does it look like inside of wealth management from y'all's experiences? Yeah. Well, I, I want to back up a little bit. Like you, you, you talked about that fear and I want to unpack that. I, I, I've thought about that a lot. It's like, where, where does that fear come from? And I think, I think a lot of that comes from you're going to judge things outside of your domain of expertise. You're going to judge that stuff and you're going to hold it up against your own domain. So you, you probably don't want your cardiologist to be creative, right? If you're going to go in for open heart surgery, you don't want to know that the cardiologist and her team is in a room in a whiteboard and they're like, oh, let's come up with a really creative, entertaining way to like to, to really help Matt out. You're going to be like, no, no, go, go with the tried and true. The stakes are really, really, really high. Don't you mess around. Like, go do the guaranteed thing to help me. Do not get creative on this one. So I think it comes from that domain. You think of an advisor, like if they're if they're gonna be helping out their clients, they don't want their clients getting super creative with their financial futures or with their retirement. Maybe solve a problem 
creatively. If there's a novel problem that comes up, they have to be creative in how they're going to overcome that obstacle. But as far as planning and helping them achieve their goals, it's not like they want them to come up with a fun, entertaining, super, super creative way for the advisor to to approach planning in a super creative way. You know what I mean? So I, I think Agreed. that's where that that reticence or that that trepidation comes from. But we're talking about trafficking in ideas. So if we're trafficking in ideas and getting them out of that, how do we get them out of that? Because you're a hundred percent right. We're not being creative. We're not taking a risk on a portfolio. We're taking a risk on how to attract clients. But then there's a fear of how we're perceived. And that then is an innate fear, right? Of, (laughs) oh my gosh, I just put that out to the public and now everybody's going to think I'm dumb. It's like imposter syndrome. Like they're going to find out that I am not, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud That's of a person exactly and I'm not smart. Is. Exactly what it is. And I would say do this. You've noticed this. We've all done this. We all go through this. We, especially if we're going to go take a swing and do something creative, we think, oh, I'm afraid how this is going to be perceived. What happens if I fail? And I, I want to push back on that. I want to, I want to challenge that. I've asked whenever anyone on my, on my own team, or if I've had advisors say, Hey, I don't really want to launch this. I'm concerned. It's a little bit out there. It's a little bit bold. I challenge that by just going, okay, let's let's forecast. Take this to its logical conclusion. What's going to happen? You're going to you're going to send out this social media post with an interesting image. And let's let's take the outliers out of it. It's not hate-filled or something that's going to get them canceled. Let's say it's something it's creative. It's bold. It's out there. Take that to its logical conclusion. What everybody in the world is going to see it and they're going to go, oh my goodness, I hate you now. Let, let's exile you. Let's kick you out of your country. You're going to be exiled to a small island in the middle of nowhere and you're going to die alone and, and cold and afraid. And, and by the way, we're all going to be laughing at you back home. That's where I would push back because like you said, there is that innate fear of being rejected, of being you know, exiled in a, in a psychological sense and in getting in trouble. That voice is always going to be there and it's always, it's always challenging you because it's trying to protect you. It's trying to keep you on the safe, on the tried, true path. But guess what? That's not going to help you grow. That's only going to keep you the same or it's going to make you smaller if you, if you keep listening to that voice. There's a video that I've been using lately, especially with some coaching clients, because like, and I, and I always walk them through that. Okay, you go and do this. Let's just say worst case scenario, you have everybody sees it in the world and they cancel you. What's next? Like, okay, you then you get fired from your job and you go forward and, and you keep going down. It's like, now we have to have that. Then if that happens, and that means that no company in the whole world ever is going to take you. So now you're living under, like how many hurdles have to happen and dominoes have to fall to where it's the worst case scenario that we all fear. But I, there's this video of Kobe Bryant and it was talking about his like journey. And he's like, and the point is the video is he's like, you got to get over yourself. You got to get over yourself. He's like, if I shoot five air balls, like who cares? Like I got to get over myself because the next thing I can do is go and work on that. But it's not going to matter. And nobody else really cares about what I do as much as I do. And why I think it matters to financial advisors is to be honest, not that many people will see it. Not that many people mm-hmm. will see it. It's not like the world will see it, maybe thousands or right. tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. But there's there's a lot more people than that in the world. And so it's like get over yourself so that you can get creative and grow 
your business and grow yourself to see yeah. other th- ways of, of bringing in business. I think it's such a and tough a, thing though. And there's an inverse to that. If we believe that one email or one social post or one failed landing page, if we believe that one of those tactics is going to tank our business, then I guess the, in the inverse of that is, oh, there's probably one email I can send that is going to earn me a billion dollars, a billion dollars yep. in revenue. I, I wish that was true. That means we could take tons of swings. Yeah, we're going to fail a lot, but man, maybe we, that, that means that it's easy to succeed. But mm-hmm. all of this is about showing up every day. All of this is about continuing to take those swings. And if you're consistently getting better and you're, you're looking at what works and you're listening to feedback and you're open to the possibilities and you're open to growing, then it's only upside. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just, and then we put all these barriers in and say, oh, it's compliance's fault or, you know, my clients won't like this. And, and it's all just, it's all to try to protect or rationalize our true fear that we're not able to come to. And I think if we did, I think our industry could market a lot more effectively, even inside the realms. And, and you talk a lot about marketing in a non-lame, non-rigid way. I, I think that that is super interesting because I, I don't hear, I mean, non-lame and rigid, non-rigid, rigidity is like the name of the game for advisors. Like, let's just be like, this is the way we do it. Tell me more about what you mean by marketing in a non-lame, non-rigid way. Well, you, you talked about compliance and you talked about regulations and you talked about being rigid, but man, Here's what's, here's what's wonderful. If you, if you already have guardrails, that means there's so much freedom within those guardrails. You, you have your, it's like, it's like, if you were to tell me, Angel, write a poem right now off the top of your head, I would struggle because there's so much, there's so much margin in that and so much freedom. But if you said, Angel, write a limerick about being an accountant, write a haiku about being Angel, the guy wearing a a floral print shirt. That's, that gives me a lot more freedom because you just defined the rules of the game. And if you define the rules of the game, now I know exactly how I can play it. And I have a little bit more freedom in finding a creative way to go back to you know, what we said earlier, to finding a creative way to find just one little twist. You define the guardrails. Let me go ahead and play this game, but let me find that one little twist that does not violate the rules of the game so that I could bring a new concept so they can introduce some novelty into what I'm doing and actually get some attention. So get novelty to get attention, right? So then my question gets to, because where my mind goes as I hear that, and I hear you talk about creativity and everything of that nature, I go say, all right, well, I'm going to go try like a ton of stuff. Like, I'm just going to go and throw everything up on the board and see what works. And then it gets to a sense of like, I'm going to try different types of content. I'm going to try different types of tones. I'm going to try different mediums and all this stuff. But then like, there also is this idea of like keeping true to your brand. And so I'm curious of like, where is that line where too much differentiation in content or too much creativity, you start to confuse the audience in finding that true line that meets your your audience or your your prospects where they are yeah see that that's that's an interesting path that's also an area where some advisors they can lock themselves in because if they hear creativity or if they hear differentiation or even they if they hear be bold you might equate that with oh that means i need to be super loud that means i need to be super outspoken, let me be rough around the edges. And it's like, no, 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 no. We just talked about not blending in. We talked about not being homogenous. 
being bold can be doubling down just in exactly how you are. What is your personality? In fact, being bold doesn't mean going out and yelling and through a, a megaphone. You can speak softly and you can still you can you can still stand out. So it's finding those opportunities. I'll also say you don't have to get stuck on being too novel or too flashy. You can even look at your regular your client onboarding. Is there any expectation that a client would have that is already lame, already boring, already same old, same old? What is a way that you can serve them better, that you can defy a norm, that you can traverse that status quo to make somebody feel better about themselves, to have them appreciate you a little more? You can Kindness can be a novel strategy. Being vulnerable can be a novel strategy. Being a little bit more personal and sharing about who you are and what really drives you, that could be a way to be bold. You don't have to you know, hang upside down with a, with a straight jacket and, and do tricks. That's not what I'm talking about here. Vulnerability, what a, what, a, what a novel idea. I mean, that is just something that everybody can be, is vulnerable and authentic, and that's novel because you're the only person that's you. And that, that can create your, your whole marketing team. And you talk a lot about you know, teamwork when it comes to marketing and creativity. And I'm curious in this side because it tends to be in bigger organizations like, like ours that the marketing team does the marketing. Like they just do it because they're market, that's their, that's their role. And then if I think about bringing in other people, like they may not think of themselves as creative. Their, their incentives aren't aligned to be creative. And so I'm curious on two fronts and I'm, I don't like to do two questions at once, but I'm going to do it. How do you get the alignment of incentives of others outside of marketing to be willing to take the risk because if they have a bad idea that fails, that doesn't help them in their job, right? They just want to stick in their lane and stay in their lane. So that's one question. The second question is, can you learn creativity or is it something you're born with? Can you, you know, can someone actually learn it or is it if they don't, you either got it or you don't in your mind? For the first question, breaking somebody out of their comfort zone, giving them the space to take risks and bring their ideas to the table. Going back to defining the game, it, it comes down to you as a leader. If you're going to invite people into that space, define the rules of engagement for them. Let them know like, hey, we have a plan. We have an objective. We're trying to move XYZ number forward. Let's bring some fresh ideas to the table. And guess what? There's, there's not a bad idea at this stage. Let's get it all out there. Volume is a lot better than perfection. Let's do that. So I, I think setting that tone and letting people know that they're, they're not going to be ridiculed for bringing you a bad idea is important. And you have to model that for them too. Show them your bad ideas. I tend to, to I'll show people rough drafts of things that I've put together. I've shown them, I've, created email autoresponse series in the past. And I've shown them like, hey, this is what I landed on. Let me show you the 150 email subject lines that I toyed with to get to these 10. And they'll see some terrible stuff in there. So that way I get to model for them like, hey, I turned off the editor. I went for volume and then I went back through and made sense of all of this stuff and figured out what was going to conform and what's gonna help us achieve the goals that we're setting out to achieve. And as far as learning creativity, I'll, I'll say this. I would say you can learn creativity. The only thing, or you can learn to be more creative. You can, you can flex that muscle and, and improve it. 
the only thing you need is you need to be able to believe that you can. So you need to be open to the possibility. I, I, I heard this quote once that was something along the lines of, to those who get it, no explanation needed. To those who don't, no explanation will do. So if you don't have it in your consciousness that, that there's a possibility that you can grow or that you can learn a skill set or that you can turn off the editor and be creative, if you don't believe that at all and you hang tenaciously to it and you believe it with all your heart, like, dude, what am I going to be able to do, do for you? How can I help you learn? You, you've already decided that you've lost. You've locked yourself out of that. So as long as you're open to it, I think that's already the precondition to be able to get better at it. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, you either have the confidence or you don't, right? That's what separates people in terms of sport or in terms of business. Those that, that are always trying to find a reason of things to blame are the ones that tend to, to fail. Those that say, hey, I'm going to figure it out, they tend to push through. And, and so it's the same thing with creativity. Like, I know that I'm going to stink at this at first, but I know I'm going to find it out because I know I'm able to. The other prerequisite for that is curiosity, right? We just talked about combining novel ideas. We talked about combining established ideas in a novel way, the way you see those opportunities is you have to be curious. So mm -hmm. if maybe if you're an A curious person, like not curious at all, yeah, that's going to be way harder, but you may not even care about being creative. <laughs> and yeah. that, that just means that others are going to try to force you to do something you don't even want to learn to do. You have to have an open mind, right? Those people that think right. they know it all are never going to be able to get creative in that sense because you've got to learn about different things that you can bring and piece together and find ways to bring them together. I think Morgan Housel does some, such a great job with that and bringing random things that are not relevant to wealth management or financial planning or saving or whatever it may be and tying it together. But then when you hear him say it in such a succinct way, it's like, gosh. Like that was like genius. Like, why I could have thought of that. Like, that makes so much sense. But he's a master. He, he's a master. He's a master at that. At that. It, 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 it's just incredible. And and everybody's like, well, I can never get there. He's just got this natural born talent. That is BS. He worked his tail off to oh, get yeah. to that point. He just he was curious and was like explorative on that. Now the last or there's I mean there's so much I can go with with you and but I'm going to be respectful of time. Is you know we we talk about automation without losing humanity. Now, automation, I think, is such an important aspect of creating efficiency and, and necessary for us as an industry in order to, because we're always going to be a people business and we need to have automation. But I think that there's always pushback of, well, we're also, we don't want people to think they're a number. We want to personalize it. Like they're telling us a lot of deep information. So we don't want them to think that we don't care. How do you see creating personalized automation what does that look like and what do you tell those people that say you can't automate with personalization i mean i would say that you tell them you know move away but what would you say to them it's it's funny that you ask that because i i in the early days especially i think people people are waking up more now they're being exposed to it they're internalizing a lot of the the points and they're, they're open to it but i remember in the early days we would have webinars we would talk about automated marketing and we would get questions like, oh, this sounds great. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think I can automate without being inhuman. How am I going to be able to automate and, and retain my humanity? And to me, one doesn't negate the other. One is just a way to execute and execute at scale. So what it all comes down to is intention. You could send me an automated confirmation email, Matt, and if it has a friendly voice, and if there's elements of personalization there and I see 
your personality shine through? How is that? I know you didn't send me that at 3 a.m. if I signed up for your, your newsletter or if I opted into uh, one of your pages or got some type of confirmation. I know you weren't waiting and going, oh, it's 3 a.m., let me send Angel this email. There's no mistake that that's automated, but the intention and the thought that you put behind creating it and creating that experience for me, that's what makes all the difference. That's what retains the humanity. And that's what helps merge that humanity with the technology so they can be, they, they can work better and help scale the relationships. Thought and intention. That's where I think automation gets overlooked because automation is the delivery of it, not the act behind it. And what I mean by that, like everybody thinks that every email to a client needs to be so personalized, but there's so much opportunity to to have really deep thought and intent and still personalization. But your your clients don't even think that they need to have like, if they need an address change, like you, you can you don't have to send the response to them. Like you can have some automation there or if they sign up for a, a prospect meeting, like there can be a lot of automation there because you know, you can create this experience that's so different. And I think it's the, and I love that idea of the intention and the content that's there, not necessarily the delivery mechanism or in, in the, and also your client may not even know that it's automated. We do. And that's what holds right. us back. Like, oh, they definitely will know. It's like, no, they may not even know at that point. Right. And, and if you automate the routine, if you automate the routine, that means you freed yourself up. If you freed yourself up, then by all means, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you, you leave and you're like, oh, I never have to interact with people. You go, great. I automated the routine so that I could scale and I could spend time being thoughtful. I could look for opportunities to send someone a one-off email that is super specific to them. I can go check out their LinkedIn and comment on something they said or find out something from their profile. Where'd they go to school? Oh, what if I find their t-shirt size and send them, you know, whatever their favorite team, like that's, and you can even automate some of that, right? At least the choosing and sending, but I think it opens you up to be even more thoughtful because you get yeah. to save a lot more time. You get to scale and then you get to be really picky about the ways you're going to blow people away and, and introduce even more humanity in very thoughtful ways. More impactful communications and interactions that you're able to have. Taking time to send back a response email to a change of address or a quick question that way, low impact to the relationship. Yeah. Being able to send a bottle of wine to wherever your client's going on their anniversary, high impact, high leverage. That is, that's where the time needs to be spent at that point in time. I want to wrap this up with one more question then my two final questions because I was going through your LinkedIn posts. And by the way, if you haven't looked at Angel's LinkedIn, I know you don't post all the time, but if you go back and look at the history, like there are some thoughtful posts, some of them that we're not going to get to that I, I would love to, especially that one on imposter syndrome, by the way, that was phenomenal. I, that was from like six months ago, I think, was uh, was such a great post and I resonated with it. But I, I want to go to one that was, uh, that was a couple months ago. You, you reshared I think a friend of yours posts and you, you, the quote in there was marketing work is about the conviction that one has for improving someone else's life at a deep level, not hockey persuasion tactics used to sling product. And, and in there, you also talk about storytelling and, and, and I'm curious how advisors that are listening and saying like, this all makes sense. Like, you know, we see some of the most incredible stories every day because we talk with some of the most incredible people and clients every day. Right. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, because I thought that that quote was like so powerful and spot on. 
how can advisors be better at going to a deeper level with their marketing using all of this stories and intelligence that we have from the communications that we have every day with our clients and prospects? So that assumes that they're not sharing it already. If they're yes. not sharing it, that means it's being hidden. If it's being hidden, there isn't an opportunity to connect. Find those opportunities. Where are you going to include this? Whether it's face-to-face or through a phone call or paying attention to things that your clients and prospects are sharing and seeing what that reminds you of. Follow that thread. Don't ignore it. If something occurs to you to share and you tell yourself, oh, I'll get to it later, are you really going to act? Mm-hmm. And I see it as a, that's like an opportunity where you take that story and you throw it out to your team and say, gosh, I just heard this awesome thing. How can we use this? How can we use this to help us get more people? And that's how you get your team thinking based on that. And there needs to be a forum. There needs to be a process maybe for you to be able to get that communicated to. But I just thought that getting to that deep level concept is, is, is so key that we all stay surface level. We're just going to tell them what a Roth IRA is and the difference between a Roth and a traditional and like go deeper. And now with testimonials, we can go a little bit deeper as well. Yeah. And, and you said going deeper, and I know this is a little bit of a different direction, but a story stands out to you. Be curious. Why did that story stand out to you? There was something novel about it. You could even find a structure for it or a framework. You're like, oh, could I, could I not just share this story? Yeah, I can share that story. But what about this stood out to me? And are there other examples that line up with why that story clicked with me? Why that story moved me? Let me go look for more examples of those. And are there ways that I can even create new stories or create new examples or metaphors or analogies to help people get to where they need to be? Incredible stuff, man. That's really good. And I mean, we could talk probably for hours, but I need to let you get back to your day job. But before I let you go, I've got to ask my two quick questions that I leave sure. with, with every guest. And the first one is, I'm a constant lifelong learner. I love to learn. I'm always curious. And I always like to learn from smart people and what they're reading. I like to read books. And so I'm curious, you know, what's that one book out there that you think everybody should read if they haven't or reread if they already have? This one's hard to answer because I probably read six books at a time, but... I'm trying to figure out what would appeal to either the the head or the heart. And I'm going to go with the head. So, you know, we all want to be better at what we do. This is actually on my desk. This is building a second brain. So this, I took a course by the same name. We traffic in ideas. I was trying to figure out how with this deluge of information out there, what's the best way that I can have a system so that I can index and reference all these things that I read, all these things that stand out to me so I can figure out how to combine different ideas. That book, Building a Second Brain, teaches you using digital tools, note-taking tools, very simple setup, gives you the right framework so that you could really reference and save all these things that you're learning about, all these things that you're reading about, maybe listening to on podcasts, maybe even thinking about and taking notes on. It helps you organize all that stuff in a useful way so that you can unlock creativity, so that you can unlock productivity. It's a, it's a phenomenal uh, system that the author covers in that book. I will second that recommendation. That book has been game changing for me. The power method and all that type of stuff is life changing. And, and I, I, I help to encourage others to do it because it's, uh, it truly is organization of notes. I had never found it till then. To me, I feel like that's a huge personal competitive advantage. 
A hundred percent. To be able to find something quickly and, and search for it quickly is, is game changing. So the last question I always ask is, you know, if we talked about a ton here, there's a, so much gold in this podcast, but if there's one actionable takeaway, if they're just listening to the end and you say, I just want them to take this one thing away that they can go and actually act on and implement tomorrow, and they're going to be better because of it, what would be that one takeaway action that they can have from our discussion today? I'm going to fall back on an old quote. I probably bring this quote up maybe four or five times, <laughs> four or five times a month. And it's on my Alexander Pope. It's men must be taught as if you taught them not and things proposed unknown as things forgot. It's really easy for experts to try to force their ideas, to try to force what they know on others. But that's not how the human motivation works. Like you really got to be kind, be thoughtful about how you're going to help them learn these ideas if you're trying to persuade them, if you are trafficking in ideas. And to me, that quote also means be a little kinder, understand where people are at, have some empathy. And uh, above all, don't be boring, be entertaining. Angel Gonzalez, man, you are an incredible person and, uh, and so happy to see all the success you guys are having at, at Snappy Kraken. If others want to continue to follow you, engage with you all at Snappy Kraken, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally and also with the, the, the company? LinkedIn. LinkedIn will be it's a great way to just uh, hit me up. You can DM me. You can uh, yeah, just engage That's with awesome. me uh, through the comments. And uh, as far as the company goes, snappycracken.com. Great. Andrew Gonzalez, success to you, man, and luck. I'm cheering you on from over here. So thanks again for joining us here today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 